This is the Content Recruiter Podcast. Episode six, and we are talking about um, what TA team should be measuring in 2022, uh, which is always quite an interesting topic because historically, Nate, I'm going to take employer brand out of this conversation for a second, but in the UK, historically, most TA leaders have focused on time, cost, quality of hire. And I don't know how that stacks up with with what you're seeing in the States, Matthias, you might have some views as well around um, around different parts of Europe, but they're really the three metrics that UK teams land upon. And I don't know, there's... I have issues with all three. I don't. I don't like any of them, particularly in the in the environment that these that these teams operate in. So, if we're thinking about like cold, reactive recruitment environments, I really like dislike time to hire because I think it forces just the wrong type of behaviors and the wrong tactics to attract talent. Um, but I'm intrigued just to kick off. Like, what are your initial thoughts on on those three metrics as a as a sort of standard as an industry standard? Is that is that yeah that question's to you? Oh, wonderful! Yeah. Um, <clears throat> here you go. I think um, if you take every single one and would say you know as a standalone, is this good enough to actually um, add proper value? I think um, I would also come uh, agree with your point in saying like okay, if I just have time to hire, or if I just have quality for hire, I think uh, if you just take those. Um, and the definition, what I have seen in the industry, first of all, there is no unique definition of time to hire. A lot of people in different organizations are measuring time to hire completely different. You know, does it start when the budget is approved and then we go on? Or does it mm-hmm. really start when the job is opening, right? So um, my advice would be here, if you really want to look into that, is um, time to hire makes sense because based on my experience, if you have very good talent that is willing to change jobs, they probably give themselves one or two weeks as the window of opportunity to really, you know, make sure, um, you know, that you're within those two weeks, be on the forefront and actually have the conversations you need in order to make sure I want to hire this uh, talent. It shouldn't take longer. And I actually think in the US at the minute, if you take two weeks, you're too slow. In EMEA, it's probably like a little bit of a stretch if you can make, on average, 14 days happen. But I don't think, on average, that is the case because it's probably 40 or 50 days, yeah, depending on how big your organization is. So um, I would say time to hire would only measure to understand, do I even have a fair chance to convert the right talent in a decent amount of time? Now, that doesn't mean that, you know, I just have been introduced to that talent in that two weeks. There might be a long process beforehand, relationship, networking, et cetera, et cetera. But what what, uh, we should decide on or um, differentiate is active and passive candidates, right? So I'm talking about an active candidate that is engaged and is willing to be interviewed, right? And that is something that is completely different when we look at networks and passive candidates and they need some proper engagement, sorcerers, other people need to have coffee chats and have that relation, which is not time to hire, right? In terms of quality, also to answer that question is, how many times have I seen the quality for hire 
is so biased, right? Because you probably in the best case are saying, you know what, you, dear hiring managers, is this a great fit? And you're like, yeah, I'm hiring that person. Of course it's a great fit, right? Um, and even talking about great fit is already the problem, right? Because um, literally, how can we make sure that if you have quality per hire as kind of connected to performance data and you have a proper performance uh, process um, and performance management in place that is you know, objective to a certain extent, then yes, time to hire, uh, quality per hire makes sense, but not so many people would wait for that, right? Because we wanna have those KPIs very quickly and we wanna really quickly understand, is that a quality hire? But if you do this within four or six or eight weeks by serving people, it's highly biased, yeah? And so yes, as that metrics is not very well defined and is not an industry standard, which are all of those metrics are not, right? Because there are certain different interpretations. I think um, if you just use it like that, um, it might not give you the results that you, you are looking for, right? And um, I think we should open the topic around measuring success and saying, what is success for us? And success might be, you know, value add. How do we create value add? Because recruiting is most of the time seem very transactional. And that's also because to all, a couple of questions that you probably bring up in this podcast is like, well, first of all, if we cannot convince as talent leaders of what the value add is in this organization, then of course, if we go down the path of measuring success and you are not fighting the right to have the right KPIs, then you're, you're not doing the right things. You're actually harming um, the system. You're harming your people and they get that anxiety, that burnout and everything else because you just were not able to prove the value add in the organization and how to measure that. Nice. There's a lot to, uh, a lot to think about here. I, um, <clears throat> Nate, my mind went straight to the tactics, the tactics that recruitment teams are operating because actually I agree with pretty much everything Matthias said and I think but a lot of these metrics are, are predetermined on the current tactics that recruitment teams are executing against. You know, the things like cold outbound to job boards, to candidates who've never heard of you and don't trust, don't love your brand, all that sort of stuff. What What are your thoughts? What came to your head? Mine? Mm-hmm. The, the thing that I always wonder about metrics in general is um, does there have to be like this universal approach to what we measure. Um, like, do we, do we all have to agree on what's right and what's wrong? And like, it's valuable to expose the, uh, the problems with certain metrics and the benefits of certain metrics and things like that. For be, it's valuable for people who use those metrics to like see all sides of it. But the thing that I, that I come back to when it comes to measuring anything, whether we're talking about recruiting or sales or marketing or whatever, is like companies are unique in their own, in their own way. And I'm wondering like how many conversations are happening internally about what is it that we actually care about and are we measuring those things? Um, some of them, I mean, of course, like there's only so many things we can measure and there's going to be alignment across like different companies on what those things are. But... I think like uh, what I'm getting at, I'm like, uh, I'm kind of struggling to articulate this, but I think like industries tend to pile on a certain criteria for measuring success when I think like success ultimately lies, 
at an individual level within a, within an organization. Um, does that make sense? Yeah. Do do you um do you think being tied to certain metrics? Do you think that influences, or do you think that that determines like how innovative recruitment teams become? If they are constantly held against this certain metric of time to hire, for example, Matthias, I want, I'd love your your views on this because you're working with a lot of companies as, as as well. But like, do you think a TA leader last year achieved hypothetically a twenty five day time to hire? Is the mm-hmm. team again? Is the team working now against that number? Is that the number that the rest of the business is looking at and going, whoa? Our time to hire has actually increased to 40 days now. What the hell's going on? But actually what the TA leader has done has started to bring in more brand people so they feel like three, six months of short-term pain whilst they start testing different platforms before the time to hire decreases again. Like, is, is, is this a problem? Is this kind of metric hurting recruitment teams today? So, so maybe if we step, I will answer your question, but maybe step out on this topic of why do we need those metrics? Because in the end of the day, we want to create a common understanding where wherever in the organization we are, what good looks like and do we make the right progress and do we reach our you know, targets or goals that we set ourselves, right? So I think that common language and understanding of, hey, are we on track? Are we not on track? How many times have people in a, in a bigger time and they just want to understand reading a report or whatever, hey, are we on track? Do I get my hires you know, in, in time or not? But um, also to your, to your question, I think um, data starts also with storytelling and how many people are so bad in delivering KPIs and reports and forget about the story and the context behind it, right? Yeah. So, um, and then also when we talk about data, we always talk about quantitative data. Nobody looks mm-hmm. at qualitative data, which is also another piece of data, right? And keep that in mind, right? When we talk about scorecards and, you know, values and value assessment and, you know, most of the time we cannot lucky us, right? Not say a candidate is good and here are the 15 metrics that tells me how good a candidate is, right? A lot of tooling is going that way, but literally they should just be adjustments or um, a value add for your overall um, hiring decision, but you should never, you know, um, only, you know, take them as granted. So I would say, what about the story? What about the connection and the context, you know? So Nate, I would say, when you talk about, can we achieve the time to hire of like 25 days last year? I would argue, well, it depends on the context, you know? Um, what I have seen in the beginning of the pandemic, it was very easy to literally get to that number because suddenly people have open calendars, don't have these unnecessary meetings, and they just were free and able to have interviews, right? And the speed was going super fast. Now that we are in the second or even third year of the pandemic, people are wasted, people are, you know, so much also tired of this. And of course, yeah, um, maybe they are fed up after the 10th Zoom call that they have to do another two or three, you know, interviews on top of that, right? And so, yeah, context matters. And when we talk about DNI, for example, the real thing that we need to uh, talk about is when you create those uh, diverse interview um, panels, the first thing that I was running into most of the time was, hey, can we protect that person to not have hundreds of interviews that day, this week, can we make sure they have one or two interviews 
maximum this day or this week, right? So we protect people and our systems need to make sure that there's a responsibility behind it, that we manage cognitive overload, let's put it like that, right? Mm. And then in that context, 25 days is fine or is not achievable. It depends mm -hmm. a little bit on the context in, in which organization are you in. Interesting. Nate, what's on your mind? Um, I'm wondering if like, how, like, if we're, if we're looking at, uh, speed, quality, those types of things, like how long does it take to actually see if those metrics play out in the right way? I mean, if, if we hire somebody fast who seems like they're quality, quality, qualified, whatever, we get them through the process. Everybody agrees that like, Hey, this person seems great on paper. They're awesome get them through hired. How long does it take to actually see if like, if, if that, if that was the right decision? Um, I'll, I'll tell you, I'll just like use an, an example at our own company. Um, we do, we, we have this mentality because we're small, we can get away with it of hire fast, fire fast. Um, there's that can play out really well and it can also be really problematic. And uh, it played out really well for us with one with one hire and with another one, uh, you know, not so well. Like I think we 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 made the wrong decision on somebody really fast out of um, fear, I guess. You know, it was like fear that if we don't hire this person, somebody else is going to. And turns out that he wasn't the right fit, and we have to cut him. And like we basically have to absorb that entire loss. Um, we could cut faster, I think, than larger companies can because like we just we don't have as much risk. And I, I realize that other companies would probably hang on to an employee like that for a longer period of time, which costs even more money. Um, yeah, I'm just wondering like how long that takes to actually like play out. Yeah, I mean, sorry, I was just gonna, just a very quick thought on that when, when, you know, when I was in in-house recruitment world in terms of like embedded into a, a company long-term, we used to report on this thing like monthly and just see where the, where the number shifted. Um, and that's, that's, that's really as, as much reporting as we did. Having said that in-house recruiters historically hate reporting, but doesn't everyone. Um, but he, that, historically that's how we, that's how we did it. Um, I, Mateus, I was going to move on to a different point, but just share what was on your, what, what you were going to say there, because I'm sure it was yeah, interesting. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it again, depends, right? Um, because of the size of the organization, the job that you perform. So, you know, if you pick, for example, a leader and you hire them fast um, and he needs to build a team um, and, you know, he maybe can destroy the performance of this team, of an existing team, or can also, you know, um, create a completely wrong team or doesn't set them up for success so the harm is bigger if you talk about leader than it is from an individual contributor but again it really much depends on um how much is the organization or does the organization understand what good looks like in this performance and that's the same right. thing with what good looks like when i interview right so just to share a little bit of insights what i did today i asked my ceo to say we need to look at like what is quality per hire for us? We both need to work on this and need to get this idea around what good looks like and how do we treat people 
on what good looks like. And there might be in some areas of performance management an answer already to that. But this is the employee. And what I always do is when I assess people, I make sure the criteria of how we rate employees internally and how we assess people in the interviews is the same criteria. Because if you have the same measurements and the same criteria set, you have a holistic view and don't hire somebody into something where they then be confronted with new goals, with new criteria that they actually don't really stick to or are, are fit to into. Fit into sorry. Mm. That's that's super smart. Um, you know, I've talked about this before, and I'm wondering. I don't know. We'll we'll, we'll see uh, how this ends up looking, but about the um, in the especially like in the tech world, the startup world, where you get funding, right? This like cycle of like influx of cash, rapid increase in hiring needs, coupled with the current um, climate that we're in, which is like that, that need to hire fast again because it's so competitive, um, is increasing, which means that, that <laughs> time to hire is getting shorter. And so recruiting teams are needing to make decisions much, much faster on candidates instead of being able to like take their time and run whatever kind of process they need to run in order to, um, to really like identify a person as a fit. So we're going with like influx of cash, speed, competitive climate, things are moving fast, could be the wrong hire. And the rate that that could potentially be happening at could be costing an exorbitant amount of money to then potentially go back and just repeat that process all over again. Because if there's anything that we're seeing is like rounds are getting bigger, VC money is absolutely there and the need to hire and the competitive talent market, it's, it's like all, it's just like continually, it, it's continually increasing. So I'm wondering if like we're in this like weird position where like a lot of, a lot of recruiters at tech companies and companies could just be making really fast decisions on potentially the wrong people and wasting money to then just like go and repeat it again. I don't know how we solve that problem, to be honest. Um, or if the problem resolves themselves, okay. uh, because I would, I would be with you um, completely. And now let me guide you to a very provocative statement here to say, you will see a lot of people that see the opportunity to get a cash increase in their salary, which is probably a unique opportunity, especially for the people who have not been in a company where there's a healthy path of like, you know, a common progression in, in their in their career. So they are very tempted to maybe not even have an increase of 30, 40, 50%, whatever, but also have an increase in titles, really make a step up, right? Mm -hmm. So since the market is that hot, what the danger is that a lot of people who are actually not capable of doing those roles are moving into those roles and once the market is a little bit more calm in the consolidation within the market, especially within those tech startups, um, will happen. It will happen for sure. Especially the look at the HR tech um, um, market at the minute, right? 70.5 billion last year, which was half of the investment over the last nine years mm -hmm. that has happened. Of course, this market is going to collapse at one point or you have bigger players buying and getting other um, companies off the market. But whatever it is, 
I would say that the danger is if people make risky decisions, and that goes to candidates, they come into jobs, they have those opportunities, they take those. I would say that not every second or every third person is going to be happy with the new job that they have because they're not set up for success. They might did a good job in the interview process, but are they really you know, able to step up from a director to a VP or from an individual contributor to a leadership role where the need was there and people were giving them the opportunity. I'm not saying that nobody is able to do that, but it's very dangerous because the, you know, the bounce back of that is then I took that role, I got the increase, I'm in this, you know, in this role and I really want to make it work. And I suddenly break because the pressure is so high, I cannot deliver on what is expected. And then you will probably see people coming back and trying to get their old role again and probably also don't care so much about the price anymore because they said this was a horrible experience and I maybe regret it to really, you know, move on. Yeah. Yeah. So you're saying just like all things, markets correct themselves. Over a certain period of time, yes. Over a certain period of time. Yeah. Not yet. Sure, sure not. But um, it's it's the same thing with recruiting roles right now, right? Look at that topic. Um, True. It's probably a known podcast, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Okay. Nathan? <clears throat> yeah. I want to, um, I want to, because there's, there's a lot, that, that, that point there about demand for people being so high right now and actually hiring people into the wrong roles just because the demand of the business dictates that they need to fill seats and, and get jobs done. I hadn't actually I hadn't actually considered that angle, which I think was really interesting. But I want to um, I want to take it back a step, and I want to talk about when I started in recruitment around uh, eleven years ago. The metrics that were established then are established today, but the landscape on the opportunity we have to um, attract talent, that awareness stage, and getting them through to the application and that 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 early stage of the funnel. Um, has changed dramatically. It should have changed dramatically. <laughs> it should have changed dramatically. It's um, the tactics are still largely the same. And I just find, you know, I keep I keep going back to this point. I saw a um, a post on um, on a popular recruitment um, Facebook community a couple of days ago, and it was along the lines of. Anyone know the latest tax for sourcing talent on social media platforms? And I'm looking at this behavior at the moment, and it's almost like we've got it backwards as an industry. Instead of going for that ask straight away and trying to source talent through social platforms today, why aren't we reversing the mindset on this and trying to hit more um, engagement points? So actually the people that we are trying to attract start to qualify themselves and they start to see themselves in our world and then say, you know what, I'm actually going to apply because I've seen you for the last three or six months. And that means we can dramatically reduce the size of recruitment teams and start putting budget in more effective places. Because I feel like a lot of internal recruitment teams are heavily bloated by numbers at the moment and are highly ineffective in terms of the tactics that they execute daily. Um, but it just it, it this whole this whole thing around how how little metrics have changed and the type of things that we that we track from ten years ago versus today just really really intrigues me because I don't actually see that much difference at the moment, and the world's changed dramatically, hasn't it? 
Now, I, I would say, maybe you agree with the point to say, have talent leads or talent acquisition leaders uh, changed over the period of time? That's a great point. Well, because, because the thing is, if I would come in as a talent leader or a talent acquisition leader into an organization and then C-level is like, hey, Matthias, you know, uh, we want to have a more data-driven uh, recruitment process or more insights around it. Can you just come up with some KPIs and share it with me a little bit more about like what needs to happen? Isn't it the leader in that place that determines what we will be measured on? What is important for us, you know? Um, and um, so and so many times I see in-house teams, they have actually the right idea, but they don't know how to, right? So how do you automate data? How do you build data dashboards? How do you make this easy for you? And then they're getting into the weeds of manual adding data to just make it work and spend like three or four hours on just a report that probably will be reviewed for five or 10 minutes, right? Um, so um, I, I, think, I think the problem here is really the mindset and what is important for you and what is on your agenda. So if it's on your agenda, what you just said around, I wanna make sure, and I said this to uh, um, one of my employer branding leads, I said, you build personal brand and through those personal brand that you build, you create the employer brand of your company. So there's a win-win situation for both sides if you're good. And if you create recruiters to be content marketeers, and the employer branding team delivers certain content pieces which people only have to share and you know really curate and maybe then tweak a little bit and you know start um, using the functionalities that social platforms give them i think they they will attract certain people and they will you know be seen and they probably see an increase in the response rates as well because what i'm seeing at the moment where the disconnect is is the fact that no matter which platform you use, most of them give you the opportunity to build employer brand, company profiles, give you momentum to share content. How many times are people literally doing this? And what does that mean then to the job ads and everything else I do on that platform, right? The connect is actually that if I'm good in employer branding, I get more money out of my job ads and more money for, for uh, as a return on investment because I'm building a brand, it's visible, it's out there, and people can connect to that, right? And so and so many times, if you just source and act on a social platform alone with no background at all, nobody knows who you are, what the company is, it just doesn't sound uh, or doesn't resonate well, right? Um, just just on that real quick, as a... Um... There's a really easy way for Instagram to start generating another 100 million in revenue and then some. And that's by launching Instagram recruiter, right? And they just give access to the back end and recruiters and dive in and search members with advanced searches and Boolean searches. They don't do it because they want people, to your point, Matthias, they want to engage people with content. They don't want to engage people with spam. But on that thought, on that thought, they shouldn't give recruiter access they should actually give company the opportunity to do campaigns. That's it. Look you at Stack Overflow. Yeah, yeah, yes, look at Stack Overflow. They're getting away of the candidate data, uh, database search, right? They just do employer branding campaigns now. Yeah. And so if you do the campaigns to engage with content and don't get into the risks that recruiters can't go there and like reach out to people actively, I think you would destroy the platform, right? If you yeah. don't do that. Exactly.
night. Yeah. Um, okay. So something I've been thinking about a lot recently is um, is how we buy is how we buy things, jobs, products, whatever. We could all group it into like the same thing. Um, when we make big big purchases, uh, word of mouth and top of mind are usually the the two ways that we initially start like filtering uh, the solutions, right? The products that we're going to, that we're going to look for or that we're going to look at. Um, and so I've, I've thought about that a lot and I thought about how becoming like the word of mouth solution within certain circles, the, the benefit that that has when it comes to recruiting and or becoming the top of mind solution. And usually if you can become the word of mouth solution, you're also the top of mind solution. But usually if you're like a developer and you're looking for a new job, you're already employed. You're thinking about a new opportunity. And usually that new opportunity comes from word of mouth, comes from like a community that you're in, a Slack group, uh, a peer group. One of your friends reaches out to you and says like, Hey, I work at this kick-ass company. We're hiring whatever, you know, it's either that or a brand has shown up so many times doing whatever you deem as some of the coolest shit. And they're just like top of mind when your need and opportunity line up. Right. Hmm. Um, the, like, I mean, there's ways, there's ways that there's certain like things we can control with, when, with those two things. And there's certain things that are out of our control and what the things that we can control are the things we talk about all the time, which is just like, how often can we show up in the right way in the right places? Um, and in my opinion right now, the right places are in people's feeds, because I think that regardless of whatever your profession is, there's certain places that we spend our time when we're not doing our actual work. And those places usually are within feeds of some kind. Um, so. Have we got, have we got the, have we, have we got the, this is a, this is a, another episode. So I'm going to take us down the rabbit hole preview to episode seven structure in a recruitment team for 2022. Have we got the structure of a recruitment team right? Because at the moment we've got like one and a half, two scrappy employer brand people serving talent demand for like 20, 30, 40 recruiters, which we said in the last episode. But all of that stuff that we're talking about here, how to understand what's happening on social when you are delivering content is quite a difficult difficult role, isn't it? You're testing a lot of things, different creative variants, different audiences, spend. Like you've got a lot of things in play that you're testing constantly. Um, is it fair to put that much pressure on a couple of employer brand people who are serving to mount talent demand for a whole business or does the structure of the whole TA team just need to change? The structure of the whole TA team needs to change for sure. And it starts with diversifying the skill sets of your team, right? Um, I think, um, how many times have I catched people to just say, okay, you know, this person has been an employer branding for so and so many times. Uh, he has done the role in this organization. They must be good, right? And we all know that years of experience versus actually the environments that are you in or the methods, methods that you have tried is actually more important and will also, you know, determine the way you go forward. Um, 
unrelated to that, what I always see people doing, which is super bad, is they don't spend so much time in the discovery phase of really understanding what the problem is, right? They jump to solutions very fast, very biased, and therefore we see that repetitive pattern all the time in, when it comes to solutions. So to answer your question, I think, um, yes, we should look at the good ratio, but it maybe is also the question around how much freedom do you have as a leader or as people who, who are designing and building teams to say, you know, what is the good ratio between technology and things I can automate? And what is the ratio between people heavy processes, right? Because I would argue in some areas, you would see teams 30, 40, 50 people, and you might not need all of them. You know, I don't want to make them redundant, but I say like probably inefficient processes are put in with recruiters. They just don't know better or employer branding people that just don't know better. And just because they don't have the right technology. And now going back to Nate's point is in HR technology or TA technology, the buyer is not always the user or very often not the user, right? Mm -hmm. So we have already the problem, which um, I just found a nice research um, just recently on my LinkedIn profile, where there's a disconnect how recruiters use technology because the infrastructure and the environment and the organizations hinder us to actually make the right decisions because the people who have the problems are not making the calls. So that means you have the tech team, uh, or that is probably the buyer or the C-level um, senior sponsor. You have the TA leaders who also would do the hands-on work, right? And they both are like, yeah, it's nice. It's a good software. It looks nice. Nice UI. I can log in. It totally works. But really the people who are in need are not the ones who make those decisions. And then there was interesting stats of like, think about how then when we talk about markets and they res resolve their problems, how many recruiters are leaving for better technology and better processes? Hmm. If this is going to happen, we will see some pressure on, hey, you want that job in this recruiting company? What does your tech stack actually look like? What is actually the processes that you have? Um, and what? how do you understand if I a good recruiter or not, you know? Uh, one thing I want to make sure to mention is we talked about, Nathan, you and I, we, we talked about ROI stuff, uh, just the concept of ROI. And like the, you know, the question when it comes to what we call it talent marketing, employer branding, whatever we want to call it, is what's the ROI? And I think that is like that is the wrong question to be asking because what that is, what's that, what that's doing, is it's it's actually asking like, how fast are we going to recoup our investment? And and then the question is like, investment of what? Is it investment of money? Oftentimes it's not because most employer brand teams don't have any fucking money to begin with. So it's like, are, then are we talking about investment of time? Well, it's like, that's that person's job. What else do you want them to be working on? Um, and then the expectations are like, if we're going to do something, it means it's going to create a result tomorrow, which is like so far from reality. And so I think we have like this, the question of like the ROI of, of any of this stuff is just the, the, the wrong question, you know? And it's just like what, I think a better question is like, what are, we, what are we ultimately hoping to achieve? And what is a realistic time frame for doing that? 
the only reason I know a realistic time for doing that is because it's something that I've done myself and just kind of started from scratch. And I didn't know at all. I just like started doing it. And now I'm like almost, gosh, it'll be three years, you know, this summer of doing my thing on LinkedIn. And I know the realities of it and I can like, clearly manage people's expectations around it, but it's only because I've been doing it. So like, I understand that like the expectation settings are really hard thing for people who, who, do, who haven't done it on a regular basis. But um, this, this thing that we talked about, I think we, maybe in like our first conversation, Nathan was like qualified inbound. Yeah. Being, being this like North star goal that I think that everybody in an organization can kind of get around and that's something to like work towards achieving. It's not something that is going to happen tomorrow. So if you're, if you're a series B SaaS company that gets no qualified inbound, like from, I don't know, we'll say whatever kind of, you know, candidate that you're trying to hire, um, and you're doing all outbound, I mean, moving that needle a little bit can have a dramatic effect on your company. And it's something that everybody from the employee IC level to the leadership level can rally around and say like, okay, let's put together a strategy, a content strategy, a brand strategy, whatever, to start moving this like qualified inbound thing. Because there's one thing we know, high demand talent behaves a certain way. They make decisions a certain way. They find out about things in certain places. So we don't have to guess there. And we can do things that like to have some level of influence there. And then, and then I think what you, what, what I'm getting at too, is like that ultimately creates the right behaviors. And those are behaviors that we rarely see right now in the world of, of recruiting. Um, so. I think the, the, the key at the moment, the, the, the message that I'm seeing Nate coming out of this is, um, is balance like you don't need to rip up the recruitment team tomorrow but just a little bit more balance in the activities that you're putting out there um maybe start to go lean on the subject experts just a little bit in the business maybe go create one content initiative every couple of weeks um a podcast a live event get a subject expert to start speaking more consistently even go get them some appearances on different podcasts maybe you don't have to host your own show just go get them appearances somewhere and get them in that that motion of starting to create um is 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 the thing that i'm seeing so you don't have to rip up the rule book tomorrow you don't have to say look no more cold sourcing no more job ads on random random job boards but actually just that little bit of balance the whole 80 20 rule probably plays out um in 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 this one but i uh i desperately want to see recruiters do more of that stuff um, but hey, it seems fitting as we wrap up to give Matthias the closing thoughts, given as he's our uh, esteemed guest for the for the first live. I think it was his show. <laughs> it was his show. He killed us, to be fair. I know. He, he made us uh, made us like rank amateurs, the rank amateurs that we are. No, please, no, no. no. I I think um, to give some some final thoughts is. Um, no matter, like we are in a people business, right? Um, <clears throat> and no matter what KPIs we have, uh, we need to be careful about, you know, the people that we work with. 
why do I say this? Is for example, the people that we want in those podcasts, that people that are going to share those stories, they also have lives. They also probably haven't done this before. They need some, you know, handholding, some empowerment. Same thing with hiring managers or interviewers that you want to, you know, be part of your journey. Um, same thing with, you know, also the candidates sometimes. Life happens these days, right? And I think in the pandemic, if there's one thing that we all learned is to be flexible and to be to have empathy, right, for everyone. Because um, for me, sometimes we uh, turn things much, way too fast into escalation in terms of, oh, you need to should do that, you should do that, you should do that. But we forget about, hey, these are people that we talk to, yeah, and they have lives and they... And they might also need a little bit more time, you know. One of the things I've learned also, which actually totally makes sense if you think about it, is the more senior the candidate gets, the less availabilities the person has, right? So moving within five days or ten days or like three weeks, no chance, no chance. If they're not on a break or on a sabbatical or whatever, you cannot move them fast enough to process You need to... Be aware of that and we have seen this also when you you talk about directors vps etc cetera, etc cetera. um you need to have that flexibility it might take a, a month even right because they have busy calendars and then you want them to talk to people that also have busy calendars and then really mm -hmm. make it work it's unrealistic yeah that's a really good point the metrics of life and also speaking about people having lives matthias it's 10 p.m in berlin we should wrap up, get some rest. But gents, I really, really, um, really enjoyed doing this. It's been a pleasure. Thanks so much for uh, for getting involved. All right. Thank you so much. Thank Have you. a good one. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye bye.